Well, it's good to be together this morning, and uh, thank you for each one that has taken uh, time this morning, given time to God to be together. And if you're uh, on the go or you're maybe homesick or whatever, and you're engaging online today, we also pray that what you're experiencing wherever you are will be uh, nothing but God's presence and a sense of His nearness. Andy and Maureen, you're throwing me off uh, sitting on this side today. Wow, we got to do that a little more, don't we? And actually, I know enough to know that that's intentional. And uh, we can meet other people when we sit in different places. Although this morning, with uh, some spaces among us as well, you may just uh, have to move forward or back a little ways. But uh, just encouraging you to take the opportunity after uh, church today to to not rush away and uh, find someone you've not met before and introduce yourself and uh, have uh, an opportunity to connect with one another. If you missed uh, last Sunday's message that Harvey uh, preached, uh, go to Eaglemont Christian Church YouTube channel and catch up there. And and any of the series, any of the messages in this series that you've missed, you can do that, of course. Uh, Last Sunday, just an excellent and and important message, uh, making some some deep (laughs) theological truths uh, simple. Some, some powerful theological uh, truths that, that Harvey just made uh, so clear and, and brought forward in, in such a, an understandable and, and helpful way. So uh, catch up there. We're going to read today's Galatians passage. And if you're just joining us today, again, we express a welcome to you and, uh, and hope that uh, in this gathering you will be encouraged and, and strengthened by, by virtue of being here and having your heart open to fellowship, to, to corporate, as we say, <laughs> collective worship with other believers, and to the teaching of God's Word. Um, and yeah, give us opportunity to meet you later. But we've been journeying through for a bunch of weeks um, uh, this New Testament letter entitled Galatians, just because it was sent to a region, Asia Minor uh, at that time, uh, in uh, the region of, of Galatia to numbers of churches. And uh, the guy writing the letter, as uh, he wrote much of the New Testament, uh, what became the New Testament, many of his letters under God's direction, he, he was a, a, a Christian killer, a persecutor of Christ followers, actually. And, and Jesus showed up, and you can read the story in the New Testament in the book called Acts, uh, chapter 9, of how Jesus got his attention and he surrendered his life to Christ. And, uh, and so now he's, he's putting forward the message of Jesus that is often called the gospel message. And gospel just means good news. And so we have been journeying through this letter of, of Galatians. And so if, uh, if today's your first Sunday with us, uh, it's the second last Sunday in this series. And so we'll read today's Bible passage from Galatians in this uh, Freedom to Do Good uh, message, as we've titled it. Uh, we'll read it completely through, and then we'll reread some of the sections as we unpack uh, some of it over the next few minutes. Galatians 6, 1 to 10. It's on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. I'd love to give you one. And that goes for you engaging online as well. Let us know. If you don't have a Bible, we want to get one, uh, of course, free of charge into your hands, okay? Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, Paul says. So that's a unique term in our lingo, right? Kind of, maybe not, depending on the context, but Paul means those, he's, he's speaking to those who are his brothers and sisters in Christ because we both 
have the same heavenly father, right? Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. And be careful not to fail or to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. This is the New Living Translation. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. And, and by the way, ultimately, that death is, just means separation. Separation from God, ultimately, if that path is the one we stay on. If you um, satisfy... To, sorry, um, I, I, gotta, I gotta find my... There we go. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Uh, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Capital S, the Holy Spirit of God. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those who are in the family of God, or to those in the family of God. Father, we just pray your, your, your spirit would make your word alive in our hearts and help us to walk in obedience to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, for those who haven't been with us throughout the numerous weeks of this series, um, the, the writer... Um, sorry, did I say those who haven't been with us? Those who have. It's a long weekend. I've got to get my brain in gear. Those who have been with us, you've heard us say numerous times that Paul, uh, again, under the direction, absolute direction of the Holy Spirit, as he writes, he has repeatedly stressed that we cannot earn God's favor or God's forgiveness by doing good works. M to many of you, that's not new news. Uh, but then, as we near the end and the conclusion of this letter, what, is, what does he choose to talk about? doing good. Verse 9, don't grow tired of doing good. It's not that complicated, of course. You, you, I'm sure you, you know Paul is, is not contradicting himself. He's simply stressing that in, instead of trying to do good works to earn God's gift of eternal life, these good works should, should naturally or, or supernaturally, uh, maybe even easily flow out of our lives because of, our, because of our gratefulness to God for His forgiveness that we've experienced. And such good works bring honor to God and also point people's attention to Jesus. And some of you, you know that. You're, some of you are just, this, this good work stuff, this serving others by doing good. You, you, you see things that some others don't. And that, that's very cool. But all of, God is calling all of us to have our radar on for opportunities throughout the day to just, to just do good to speak good uh, to people, to speak encouraging words to people, um, 
the, 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 maybe the, the grumpy uh, person at the, uh, at the cashier at, at, at whatever store you're buying your groceries. Probably a reason. Maybe they just don't like their job and they feel trapped. But someone comes along with a smile on their face and says, hey, how's your day going? And you ask genuinely or whatever and kind of, and again, some of you do that so naturally. That, that's, that's in the category of, of doing good. The words we speak that can be encouraging and, and, and genuine to people in our day-to-day life. Verse 9 is really the focal point of this message, but uh, let's back up and look at some specific examples in this Scripture passage, as we said we would do, uh, of the ways that, that Christians love one another and, and do good, and, and love others, of course. And it's, it's worth noting that these examples of love and good deeds shared between uh, believers, and that's the primary context here, and of course it needs to bleed over in our everyday life, but uh, Paul has in mind in this section of, of Scripture what takes place within the body of Christ, that there's love and care and good works toward one another in the body. And of course, that becomes then a great and important testimony to a watching world, right? Um, and these, I think it's worth noting that, that these Examples that Paul gives of, of love and good deeds shared between genuine believers are, are contrasted, and I think Paul intends these to be uh, contrasted with the, the conflicts and the pressure brought into relationships with where, where there's legalism and performance uh, demands, as we've talked about in this series. There were false teachers that said that in order to be a Christian in order to be eternally in heaven with God. You, yep, yeah, yeah, we believe in the cross, but out of their Jewish background, they were saying you still have to do some Jewish rituals and, and, and follow some of these laws. You, you, they were adding works to the simple message of grace for salvation. And so it, it, it causes some, uh, some uh, confusion. In, in people, and then, but, but, but Paul isn't saying don't do good works. He's saying come to faith in Christ just because of the cross and what Jesus did there and, and express your trust in him and, 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 and tell him you want him to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. Yes, simply step into that relationship with God by faith and then the good works come out of a heart that has been filled with the love of God and the grace of Jesus. Verse 1, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Can you think of a time, Christian friend, when when you've done that? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Maybe you've done it and you've hardly even realized that that's what you're doing in coming alongside somebody. But I, this, is, this is pretty specific here. Paul says, you who are godly. Don't, don't be intimidated by that word, okay? The, the New King James says, you who are spiritual. And again, don't, don't, we, we have a connotation of the word spiritual that sometimes can lead us to think that that's somebody who's just kind of loopy, <laughs> And spiritual is a broad term, I understand. And under that umbrella of who is spiritual, there is some loopy stuff out there. 
It's not all, just because someone says they're spiritual doesn't mean they're biblically so. Paul is just saying, if you have a desire to love God, to follow God, to obey his word, to follow the prompting of the Spirit, to be a a representation of His love in your world, in your church family. Paul says, I'm talking to you. He, He didn't say, you who are perfect, come alongside the person who's trapped in a sin of some kind and help them. No, because if if it was perfection, none of us, including myself, would be able to step in to what God is asking us to do in the context of the church family. So it's it's not that. So again, don't be intimidated by that phrase, you who are godly. If you're a Christ follower who desires to follow God and, and, rep, and, and love God well by loving others well, he's talking to you. And so then, what are, we, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be available to those who are caught in sin and help them back onto the right path of following God and, and his ways. What do we do in the body of Christ when we learn that, that, that another Christ follower in, in our church family is overcome by sin, as Paul puts it here, or another uh, version, translation of the scripture is, is, is someone who is caught in sin. What do we do? What have you done? What have I done? Do, do we pretend not to see it? Might be easier. Does does freedom to do good mean that we refuse to acknowledge what we know is the reality in that person's life so that that person won't feel bad if we address it? And again, these conversations most often come out of some degree of relationship, which is why the investment of our heart and soul and, and, and time in the body of Christ to build relationships is so important. The more we do that, the stronger we are individually and together. For that reason and many others, you, you won't hear us, uh, or we won't stop, let's put it that way, we, we won't stop talking about small groups and the importance of that context of uh, where the relationships can be strengthened and some of these tough conversations can can then be had when when they're needed what's our response in those situations or or do we expose the sin openly so that you know kind of makes us feel spiritually superior well because that's never happened sad too often the church to use the The old adage uh, shoots its own wounded. Too often others in the body look down on that person who has been caught in sin. Some may may even gloat a little and, and, and share the good news. Not the good news, share the news so that we can pray for that person. When really it's a guise, at, at times, for gossip, which God hates. Paul calls on godly Christ followers to take the lead in the restoration process of helping the the fallen Christian, the Christian that has stumbled spiritually in their walk, to get back to the place of knowing, of knowing that they are forgiven and that God has has picked them up and has set them in the right direction again with their 
with their heart in a posture of repentance, of course, and, and trust in God again. And then, and then on they go to take new and their next strides of spiritual growth in their walk with Jesus because someone in the church family saw, cared, loved, and acted. And that may not be an easy conversation. I'm not saying it is. But that's what we're called to as we watch out for one another in the body of Christ. It's part of God's desire for us as we, as we live in community with one another in the body. And I think we'd want others to respond that way for us if we have a genuine desire to follow Christ, right? We would want others to respond that way if we were the one to be tripped up, caught in sin. The New Living says that this restoration process is to be done humbly and gently, and no one wants to receive help from someone who is harsh or, or displays a condescending attitude. No, none of us like that. Don't, 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 don't be harsh with people. You, you might be right, but don't be harsh. Restore. How is it that we restore one another when that's needed? The original word from which we get restore is in the Greek language a medical term that means to set a bone straight, a fractured bone. So <laughs> it's not something that you can neglect, right? And there's probably going to be pain in the process to use that word and that metaphor. But it has to be dealt with. And there's, there's no shame in it. We're all human. We all are, have a sin nature. We all fail. But let's not be dishonest about it with one another. Restore, restore one another with grace. Gracious and loving restoration. I've seen it happen, and it's a powerful thing which causes roots to go deeper in Christ and in relationship with one another for those that are on the giving and receiving end of that type of situation that Paul is talking about here. I don't know, give it some thought. Give it some prayer. Be available to be used that way in your walk with Christ. The last phrase of verse 1 reminds us that the godly Christian who's helping the, the fallen Christian, as we might phrase it, e even though they are spiritual, they still need to, what's Paul say? Be careful not to fall into the same temptation themselves. The, the help we may offer someone else must always be given with a, just a, a keen awareness of our own weakness, right? And, and our own susceptibility to fall. Sometimes we think there's areas of our life that are, there's no way I would get tripped up in that area. <laughs> Gordon MacDonald, longtime pastor and spiritual leader in, in North America, some of you know his story, years ago having a conversation with a friend, a Christian friend, and that they were talking about this, and the one friend said, if, if Satan were to attempt to trip you up, <laughs> which he does, um, what, what, do you, what, what, what would you say is, is one area that you just, you just think you, you would never fall. And he said, oh, definitely, my marriage in that whole area. Sadly, years later, he had to resign his position because of an affair. 
And the, as a matter of fact, the apostle, same, same writer, different letter in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 speaks to this. Paul says to us, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think there's an area that, that, that you're just not susceptible to fall, watch out. And we understand why that is, right? Because in our minds, if we're absolutely solid in that area, and if not, we have, there's areas where we are. We're strong. We're solid. But it's just, it becomes an attitude thing, Right? And if we just think we're above falling in that area, we can let our guard down easily. And so that's what that was. Paul addresses that here in, in 1 Corinthians 10. And then in verse 2 of Galatians uh, 6, Paul gives the reminder that carrying each other's burden is doing good. Did you know that? Coming alongside in any way, in a practical way, in a praying, praying way, or an encouraging word kind of way, coming alongside is doing good. We're, we're obeying the law of Christ. And Paul's reference here to the law of Christ can, can also be called the, the law of love, as opposed to the law that these, what were called Judaizers, these false teachers were trying to put on people, the, the binding law of performance. No, this is, this is, a, this is a, a law, quote unquote. It's a law of love. It changes the game stood in stark contrast to the legalistic system that, again, these Judaizers were, were pushing through their salvation by works message that, that brought it, this, this heavy burden to perform, whereas the law of Christ brought freedom to do good from the right motivation of simply loving God well by, by, by serving others with the compassion of Christ. And that's something we need to pray into our lives. I do too. God, help me. Help me to reflect your love and so that I can live this way. The, the, the Judaizers system involved submission to a code of conduct. The law of Christ is more simply and powerfully about, a, uh, about submission to a person who personifies love, right? Now, verses 3 to 5, Paul, moving on, points out two things in our character that will impede our ability to carry the burdens of others, as Paul has just instructed us to do. The first is conceit. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourselves, you're not that important. Not, not much to say here. <laughs> he says it pretty straight. And the other is comparing ourselves with others. Who does that in this Facebook, Instagram world, right? Hmm. Verse 4 and 5, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Comparing ourselves with one another can, can be, on one hand, it can be a form of pride. I'm doing better than they are. Or probably is more common, maybe even comparing ourselves with others can be harmful in the sense uh, if the mindset is, well, I'm not measuring up. I'm less. Look at them. Hmm. Some of you go, yeah, I struggle with that. God doesn't want you to struggle with that. He's made you the way he's made you with the gifts, the personality, and the experiences. He, he, he wants to use you as you are. But Easy, easy to fall into here, and that's, that's why it's in the Bible. Human nature has always been human nature, right?
The idea in verse 5, specifically the word load, load, in, in the New King James and the NIV, does not contradict verse 2 in this passage where the word burdens is used, uh, where, where we're told to carry each other's burdens as we just, as we just read. The original word for, for burdens in verse 2 is, is more precisely uh, heavy, heavy burdens. Those that are more than a person can, can shoulder on their own. And, and thus the context there of helping one another, right? Um, in verse 5, the original Greek word translated as load was a common uh, term for a, a person's backpack that he would be expected to carry on his own. So, so there is that. Um, the, the NIV renders this verse, each one should carry his own load in verse 5. And the New Living puts it, as we read already, for each are responsible for, or each of us are responsible for our own conduct. And so the encouragement here is the, to, just to acknowledge the gifts and experiences that God has, has given you and know that He can use these to encourage others, as I said a moment ago. What, what you share with someone from your experience, don't, don't, don't underestimate that. It can help them realize that, that they are not alone in how they're feeling or, or in what they're experiencing. Again, don't fall. Paul's saying don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself with others because it will only undermine and minimize the way that God wants to use you to bring strength to others. Again, in the way that he's gifted you and wired you to help others carry their burdens that for them are, are crushing. Please remember that comparing your gifts or your personality or your experiences with others in, in a way that makes you feel inferior also is an insult to God. I could put it that way. I feel, I feel confident that I can put it that way. Now, I'm not speaking for God. I'm so insulted, you know, I'm not, but... He's chosen to prepare you a certain way for what he calls you to do in representing him every day. Discover that. Discover that. Step into that. That's doing good. And then comes verse 6, what seems like a random sentence. But for Paul, it's another reminder for the church of, of what doing good looks like. He's just, and he's kind of hitting kind of all over the map here, um, as, as Paul can do. Those who are taught, verse 6, those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Now, in my 37 years of pastoring, I don't think I've ever talked publicly or, or, or taught from this verse regarding pastoral leaders being remunerated for their work and their ministry. And that's not a credit to me, <laughs> Because it's the Word of God. So what does that say? I'm not sure. Um, so it's before us now. And it's a little awkward for me to talk about since I serve in the role that Paul is referring to here as, as being a teacher of the Word along with our other pastors and, and therefore being the ones who Paul says are, are being recipients of this practical help and, and the financial support from the body. And so in a discussion like this, I, I just think it's easier to quote others. So I'm going to do that. 
couple of references. Uh, Eric Dirksen, in his good uh, former president of our Vanguard College, in his excellent commentary on Galatians, points out that uh, here in verse 6, Paul is continuing his instruction to the church about what it means to, to care and to do good. Dirksen writes, The principle of burden bearing is applied to the relationship between the church and those who teach the word. The church ensures that the material and financial concerns of the teachers are met while the teachers meet the spiritual needs of the congregation. That, that puts it pretty simply and, and clearly, I think. And then I thought the expositor's commentary, commentary had, a, had a good comment. Talks about uh, the comment, that particular commentary talks about Paul being uh, a tent maker to support himself while he planted churches. And, and then the author points out this. He says, but that was in pioneer work. As soon as possible, Paul seems to have established a more fixed structure of support. So here in Galatians 6.6, 6, as elsewhere, he indicates that a workman is worthy of his pay. And, and then the author mentions a couple other related verses, one in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And then uh, reference in, in 1 Timothy 5, um, where Paul told Pastor Timothy to let the elders, so those in spiritual leadership, and it's also a New Testament word, another New Testament word for, for pastor, uh, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of, of double honor. For the scripture says, and, and here then Paul now directly quotes the words of Jesus from Luke 10, 7, the laborer is worthy of his wages. See what I mean? A little awkward to talk about? Maybe that's just me. But it's, it's, it's humbling, um, in a good way, to, to be in this position. And it's a, it's a calling, for sure, as we all have calling from God. And I'm, I'm, at times I go, God, what were you thinking? Calling me to this pastoring role and to, to this pastoring life. And, and yet, it's such a, such a privilege it really is. And, and, and here Paul is simply using this specific reminder again uh, as, as another example of his overall emphasis in this passage of doing good. God bless those that do good. Then verse, verses 7 and 8. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Agricultural metaphor that is not unfamiliar to Paul, the sowing and reaping, and some of you know that uh, from life experience yourself. Uh, some of you know the actual metaphor of the farming side of things or the gardening side of things. And the, this picture is, is, uh, is so, so relevant to the point Paul is making. Uh, and there are various applications to, uh, of, these, of these two verses. One uh, being how we use money, certainly in, in the context here, sowing and reaping. And then there's the application related to doing good by by cultivating the character of Christ in our lives, intentionally, prayerfully, by trial and error, by leaning into the grace of those when we blow it, uh, all of that growth and journey in life, right? Cultivating, cultivating the character. Cultivating is hard work. If, 
If you're a farmer, you know that. If you've got soil that's tough, that's, you're planting tomatoes. I, I, I shouldn't speak because I'm no uh, horticulturalist. Is that the word? Um, showing my ignorance right there, right? But, uh, but cultivating can be hard work. And sometimes in our lives, that is hard work as we desire to cultivate the character of Christ, as we desire to respond as Jesus would in those stressful situations. I don't always. I've got to come back to the grace of Jesus and say, next time that comes around, can you help me? Can you help me? Sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit. For time's sake, we need to skip a little bit here, but uh, go to slide 26, please, uh, Ivor. From, from verses 9 and 10, I, I simply want to highlight two brief phrases in conclusion. Paul says, again, after, after stressing over and over again through the letter, good works don't cut it. Good works don't get you to heaven. Good works don't get you into a relationship with God. Good works don't make you more acceptable to God. True. And he says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. You ever been tired of doing good? Maybe you had a stretch where you just, a lot of output. There's just been a lot of output on my behalf these last number of months. And you feel tired. Ah, some of those human thoughts creep in, right? Nobody appreciates it anyway, or, you know, whatever it is. We've probably all been there to varying degrees. Paul's not saying, if people don't thank you, you could throttle it back a little bit. He's not saying that. No, he's just, don't, don't get tired. He knows, he knows we will. He, I believe, did at times get tired of doing good. Now, this isn't speaking something imbalanced to, you know, proper balance in life in terms of rest and and. And, and self-care and, and properly done. and You know, no, it's not saying, you know, throw all that out. Not at all. But let's, let's not get tired of, of doing what is good. And maybe even not getting tired of doing what is good is, is if your wiring is just servant-hearted, giving, giving, you can be pedal to the metal on that for a protracted period of time, and that just... You just all of a sudden you realize how, how drained you are. That then there's a period of weeks or months or more where you just maybe aren't too much good to anybody. Well, th- th- again, that's not what we're... There's times when you've got to ease off and be discerning and maybe be selective. I've said it before, even church-wise, there's more needs than we can possibly attempt to meet as a church, and that applies in our individual lives, of course. So there's, there's, there's prayer. God, how do you want me to respond in this? I, I see the need. 
am I the one you want me to respond? That's, that's tough because, again, the pendulum can swing both ways. The pendulum can swing away and go, well, I don't hear God's voice. Okay, on with busy life, right? And we can be flippant about it, I guess, or unaware, um, or not really listening to the promptings of the Spirit. And then, again, the other side is, especially for those that are just are giving, serving, gifted kind of people, and it is a spiritual gift, serving, and yet something that we're all called to as well. Um, but but it can become a where we, where we just we just get tapped, and we're not using the gift wisely. And there's no formula for that. That's a, that is a tough one. But in all of that discussion, here's what Paul just says again, verse nine. Let let's not get tired of doing what is good. Verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Paul is really hitting this as he, as he gets close to the conclusion of this Galatians letter. And again, it's interesting, as I've said already, after all he wrote about works and performance not being needed for salvation, which it's not, after repeatedly stressing that we are made eternally right with God only through faith in Jesus alone, which we are. He then stresses that he also does not want Christ followers to drift toward lazy Christian living that shows no evidence of God's love to other people. That, that, that doesn't add up after we've been the recipients of God's amazing grace and gift of salvation to just kind of receive that gift and grace and, and, and live selfishly. We mentioned in uh, a verse in one of Paul's other letters. Uh, I think even Harvey, if I remember correctly, last Sunday mentioned this, this, this verse that I'm going to mention as we close. Maureen, in her good message as well, highlighted this verse, I believe, because it's just, it's just so, so well-worded and, and so succinct and clear. Uh, same author, Paul, in a different letter, his letter to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, uh, where he was talking about what grace is. And I'm so thankful. And I know in this room, those engaging online who know Christ, you, I know you're thankful as well. That this, this eternal life, this gift of eternal life is, 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 is given to us freely. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And many of you memorized these verses as a kid, as I did. For by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's a gift. So no one can boast. Ah, it's a gift. Paul uses the term. It's a gift. And again said it before, say it again, a gift that you have to work for is, by definition, no longer a gift. That's the way it is with God's gift of salvation. Being saved from myself, being saved from my sin, being saved eternally from the eternal consequences of my sin. It's big stuff. And after stressing in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, clearly, that salvation is a gift, where does he go right after that in verse 10? 
He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. On the other side of coming to Christ by faith, to do good works. Not to get there, but on the other side, to reflect his love and grace to a hurting and lonely world and a needy, spiritually needy world. And God actually says in that verse, verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, God prepared. In advance, God prepared good work, has prepared for your life in advance. I don't know how much in advance, but could be before the world began, actually, being God. The works that he wants you to do. Prepared in advance by your creator. Wow. God, I want to I want to discover that. I want to experience that. I want to do these good works that you had in mind for me to do in advance. What a, what a, what a cool thing. What a privilege. That's a spirit-empowered believer in action. That's a spirit-empowered community being a witness in a, in a, in a, in a hurting world. And being a source, being a source of encouragement and strength to one another in the body. And then, the scripture says, then the world will know that you sent me. They'll know we are Christ's followers by our love. And first and foremost, our love for one another. That must also be displayed as we move about in this world. And so, my Christian friends, here's a question to consider in response to this passage today. I want you to, to take this, maybe take a picture or write it down, ponder this in the days ahead prayerfully. What good works might God be asking you to incorporate into the habit of your daily life? Just think of some ideas. And maybe you won't think of so many right here and now, but have this question on your mind Put a, put a reminder in your, in your phone or whatever it might, or a sticky note or whatever it might take for maybe a week or maybe a couple of weeks of, of this being a question that you look at, that you read, that you then prayerfully reflect upon at the beginning of every day. God, what, 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 what are the good works that you prepared in advance for me to do today? Might that, I don't, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but it, as I plan to do this, I'd have done it before at different seasons. You know, sometimes we get focused on it well, and others we can, we can slip away from, right? It's okay. But as we intentionally, as I, I think about my intentionality of thinking about this question and, and talking to God about it at the beginning of a day, I see even that it could shape, and you've heard me use illustrations like this before, it's just, I guess because they're so simple and I like simple. I see that it could shape how I approach the drive-through. Have you ever been frustrated by the person on the other end of the microphone? For different reasons. You know, you start to, how are they trained? And well, whatever, maybe, maybe that's just me. But I can see it pondering prayerfully this question, shaping 
how I, before I ever get to the, the, the drive-thru and hear the voice. No, if I wanted that extra size bigger, I'd, I'd order it on my own. Thank you very much. I, I've never said, by the way, just to be clear, I've never said that to anybody. It's in my head, though, at times, right? Oh, the upselling, that kind of gets me. But, God, what are the good works that are sometimes deeds and sometimes words, I, I believe? What are the good things, that you, the good deeds that you want me to do or say today? Prayed about this in the morning, thought about this in the morning, get in my car, go through the drive-thru to get my coffee. The conversation can take shape in a, in a more encouraging way. I want you to think about that. I want you to write that question down. Maybe take out your phone. Put that question in your phone right now or, or maybe your memory is better than mine and you can, you can uh, register it there. And throughout the day today as you, as, as you think about the week, maybe, maybe to carve out five minutes tonight with, uh, with a, a tea or a coffee uh, and, and, and sit somewhere that you can just have everything shut, shut off except the, the voice of the Spirit. <laughs> I don't want to overcomplicate this and over-spiritualize this because it's really not that complicated. It's just a step of obedience to, to build the habit into our lives of reflecting God's love by the good things we do, by the good things we say, by the encouraging words we give, by the simple acts. The, 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 what, you know, God, we just, we just commit this to you. I'm going to stop talking and let you <laughs> guide us, Lord, in this. That's, for, for those of us in this room, for those of, engaging online who are saying, God, I, I want to live this way. I'm a Christ follower, and I, and I want to do the good works that you created and prepared in advance for me to do. That's my desire. And I, I, in this moment, friends, I just believe that there's many of you that really do want that. And I see that already evidenced in many of your life. And so you're praying with me right now. God, help me to reflect your love, to love you well by loving others and showing your grace and compassion and care and serving and help, encouraging words throughout, my, throughout every day that you give me to live life in this world. I, I want to represent you well this way, God. Help me. Jesus' name. Amen. If you have not opened your heart to Christ, I encourage you to do that. If you've got questions about that, there's a, there's a card, uh, I'm new card in the, in, in the pocket in front of you. Uh, there's uh, those engaging online or anyone can go to eaglemont.info and click on the I'm new card there and, and let us know uh, that you have questions about what it means to be a Christ follower or you're saying, today I prayed, I talked to God, I accepted him into my life and it's that simple. <laughs> Doesn't mean life all of a sudden becomes simple and easy on the other side of that, just to be clear but opening your heart to Christ and changing your eternal trajectory is that simple. Faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. Let us know if that's a decision you made.